Hello and welcome back to the Folk Podcast. This is episode 79. We're not quite 80 yet. We'll get that social security check, don't you worry. So we have a very interesting guest today, and I'm, I'm very excited on here because we were discussing it beforehand. This is an international man of mystery we have right here. We got James. James is a Chinese superstar who just so happens to live in Canada, who just so happens to create a YouTube channel called Thor's Outdoors, where he talks about survival skills, being outside in the bush, fishing. He's got an axe. I'm a little scared now. <laughs> and he is a Norse pagan. Uh, so James and I connected a long time ago. He's been a listener of the podcast for a while, and it's just about time we got him on here. Uh, so James, go ahead and just say hello to everybody. Right on. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me on. It's, it's great to be here. Finally, after listening to so many episodes. So glad to be here. Um, so I'm actually going to have, I haven't even said this yet. I'm going to try to put a little square like in the video of like your video on Thor's Outdoors. So that way it can kind of play in the background. That way it can, people can kind of give an idea of what that your channel is like. That'd be great. That'd be great. I just started up just sharing adventures in the outdoors, camping, bushcraft, that kind of stuff combined with, I think, you know, some pagan philosophies. Uh, so thank you so much for giving a shout out to the page already. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be uploading weekly and um, it's quite a well-developed niche on YouTube. You know, there's quite a few creators out there that have millions of followers. So you'd be surprised. I think most people watch it just for kind of escapism, if anything. Right. Like, I think most people are not actually going in there camping and spending multiple days in the wilderness but um yeah like most of the people under the watch is just for pure escapism reasons i think you know hey that's that's cool too i wish more people would actually practice it because i think there's so many benefits to it spiritually physically mentally uh but uh, even for escapism hey that's great too well, you know, I, when I first saw it, I compared it to Alone. Alone is one of my favorite shows. And like you said, I, I mean, I think I picked it up during COVID because I was like, it just gives me that escape of, oh, I can be in the woods right now. And just like the people on that show discuss, they're just like, it's so nice not thinking about, you know, emails or notifications. You know, you're just out there in the shit. And I think people do get that uh, when they watch a video of someone being outside, they get that same kind of mindset. Absolutely, man. I think, yeah, escapism from your everyday domesticated life uh, is, is one part of it. And it's just so freaking beautiful. It's indescribably beautiful. I think that's what many people don't realize. You're out there in these uh, landscapes that it's more beautiful than you've, anything that you've ever seen in the built environment, any painting, any movie, anything like that. And you're out there doing it for free. And it just so happens to be also incredibly stimulating on so many other levels. So it's 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 a really powerful experience. I think a lot of language to describe it really is is religious in nature. Um, it really does bring in these concepts of awe just constantly um, as you're out there in these kind of environments. And uh, what you're really doing is living as an ancestral human would, right? Like humans, Homo sapiens as a species, we spend 99% of our existence on this planet uh, living in that way. So to get out there and live like a real wild human being, I think it's incredibly important because this whole thing of living in concrete boxes and spending all of our day, you know, in front of computer screens, you've really only been doing this for, in most parts of the world, maybe 50 years. So what are the spiritual, uh, mental and physical implications of living a hyper domesticated lifestyle, we don't really know what those implications are over the long term. If anything, if you look at most metrics of human mental and physical health, it's going way, way down. It's just completely yeah. plummeting. Uh, I know that, you know, average lifespan is pretty high globally, but if you look at average health span where we're actually healthy, it's really only a few decades, you know, into your 30s in, in most countries around the world. So 
I think it's an incredible hedge against this complete um, experiment we're doing with this domesticated lifestyle to spend your weekends living out the bush, going out in the wilderness. I think it's, it's, it's a really, it's a very, very smart thing to do with your time, really. Not only is it an incredible amount of fun, but just for maintaining your spiritual, mental, and physical health, it's a very, very, I think, smart way to, to, to invest your time, invest your weekends. Yeah, I know, like, for me personally, like, that's something that I've moved back up into Minnesota and out of New Mexico, where I was at, where it's very just flat plains and cattle ranches. I wanted to start doing a lot of that. And like we said, there's, like, a, a decently sized, well, a relatively decently sized niche of people that are interested in bushcrafting so like for me personally I really started getting into the whole idea of doing that um when I came across uh TA Outdoors Mike from over in the UK he yeah. has he's one of the bigger channels I would I'd probably venture off this day and just watching his stuff because I know he does a lot of like historically accurate uh buildings of like Anglo-Saxon houses Celtic roundhouses things like that so like I think is what initially drew me to his channel and like he doesn't have like any like really like out there spiritual experience with it, but it you know like outwardly, but it's all the skills and stuff that he brings that to the table and like shows you and how like this is how things would have most likely been done with as few uh, you know modern day tools that he uses as possible, you know. So yeah, it's it's definitely something that I want to definitely get more into once I get my own like area of land because I want to do something that's more heavily wooded and kind of out and away just so I can actually take those videos and skills that I've watched, you know, on YouTube and stuff like that, and actually put them into practice and start doing it myself. So yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things where I feel like you get a lot more connected to the, just the world around you. Absolutely, Ian. And you know, the thing is like, you don't even need your, your own private land to do this. I mean, public, mm. there's so much public land in the United States. Unfortunately, I think, I guess in the East, there's not as much, right? But uh, there's so much public land. The land that I usually go out on is crown land, which is the same concept in Canada. It's, it's public land. So, um, there's so many opportunities to do this. And like you said, especially, uh, you know, for most pagans, I feel that pagans in general are generally more connected to nature. Um, and going for a hike or spending, you know, half a day out in nature, that's one thing. But when you're actually sleeping outside and you're building a fire and you're cooking your food or maybe even, you know, gathering some, even if it's berries or chaga or some mushrooms around you, mm -hmm. the level of connection that gives you to your local landscape is crazy compared to just hiking or spending a half day out there. So for all the pagans out there who have never done this before, it's a completely different experience when you're sleeping outside and you're waking up in the morning. It just, it connects you so deeply and the things that you hear and that you see, it's just, it, it really is incredible. So uh, if you haven't tried it before, I really suggest all those pagans out there, you, you get out there for an overnighter. And if they can't yeah, do that, they like, need to watch your channel, right? Right. Or you watch Thor's Outdoors, absolutely. I mean, I'm a novice, right? I'm just sharing what I have picked up along the way so far. And uh, Jacob, I saw that you, after watching that first video that I did, that you were using birch bark on one yeah. of your, was it for, I think it was a spring like Yeah, spring gathering, gathering Ostara, doing? either one, whatever yep. you want to call it. Um, Ostara, okay, yeah. Yeah, because we were trying to get the fire started after um, basically it was only just embers and coals at the, in the morning. Uh, and it was actually really cold that morning. And I saw that birch tree and it was falling. And I was like, I got James in the mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, like you actually in the full video, um, and I think I sent it to you too. Like I put it in the fire, like it was just embers. And all I had to do was blow on it. And all of a sudden just straight flames Ooh. right away. Absolutely, man. It's, it, there's so many little amazing things like that in, in the outdoors that all of our ancestors knew 
as very you know common knowledge but to us it's you we have to relearn these things as you know it's 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 very very interesting but uh there are so many you know tips and tricks and and, and little think hacks like that to to know in the outdoors it's uh it's a it's an ever it's it's an everlasting i think learning learning curve on this stuff but uh yeah it's just uh it's it's great i love it I we did try the fairly unsuccessful like polar plunge that you've been doing as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the reason I say it's fairly unsuccessful, we didn't actually expect the ice to be so thick still because it was starting to melt. But I took three steps in and I was like, oh, I hit a branch, but my feet were already numb and I couldn't tell. But it was just the ice. <laughs> like, it was still like two inches thick. Um, and we eventually found a hole that was kind of naturally there. And we all kind of crawled our way and we managed to get our butts in, but that was basically it. And I was like, ah, good enough. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Right. Yeah, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. People don't realize how hard ice is to break if it's above a certain thickness. Like it is serious. You can't just, you know, use your knees or your hands to break it. So oh, yeah. that's hilarious. Uh, I did a, you know, did the polar plunge stuff. I think it's really become kind of common knowledge on the internet now, especially with the popularity of that Wim Hof guy. I don't know if you guys yeah. remember that, that fellow, but uh, it's just, it's undeniable the effect uh, for your health and also for, I think even spirituality, when you're doing that kind of cold therapy, especially in a wilderness environment, it's, it's absolutely incredible. I had the opportunity to do a training with Wim Hof in Los Angeles about two years ago and uh, incredible human being, just pure charisma. Like in, in the moment, if he had said, guys, here's a gun, we're invading Poland. I would have said, hell yes, Wim, let's fucking go. Because he's just one of those people that are just, you know what I mean? There's like absolute pure charisma. Uh, but uh, anyways, the whole cold, the cold exposure thing is, um, again, you almost need kind of like religious terminology to explain it. Because when you do a, when you dunk yourself in freezing cold water like that, even if it's for 30 seconds, you get such a massive endorphin rush from that you experience a feeling of awe. And if you are in nature, surrounded by beautiful scenery, maybe with people, friends, or family that you love, again, it's going to be hyper-connecting you to, to nature. And these are just experiences you cannot get in the built environment. You can't get in, in, in the downtown of a city. And, you know, making people, getting people connected to nature, I think, is so critical for so many reasons one of which is, you know, humans generally only protect what we love. And uh, we need, you know, so many people are just completely disconnected from nature now, but this is a really easy kind of gateway drug to get people reconnected to nature. Because unfortunately, what's competing for attention with nature are things like TikTok and Netflix, you know what I mean? So <laughs> they're doing pretty yeah. damn good at competing too. <laughs> they're doing a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, the problem with 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 just going for a hike, for example, is that that's very just visually based, right? You're like, oh my god, this looks beautiful. It's generally, you know, people just see a wall of green if it's the summertime. Um, but how do you compete with Netflix, which you can just turn on in your home and you get all the same kind of you know intense visual. Um, uh, stimulation, you know, so these, these are one of the things that you can do in nature that's relatively simple, but can truly give you a religious experience that you cannot find in, in, in the built environment. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would say like my most recent, like being out in nature for a good, you know, more than a day uh, was around this time last year, I was coming from Kentucky, we had had an, a spring gathering um, around this time of the year. And I, my GPS had taken me through the Ozarks and luckily, like in that area, you can do what's called, oh, what's the actual term for it? Basically, it's just like off the trail camping, like you can just park your car. And then as long as it's not directly within so many feet of a trail head or a main road, you can basically park it and then go camp somewhere. And I ended up finding a lake that was in the park. And that's where I ended up. I ended up parking my vehicle 
near where they had boat access. So it was out of the way and it wasn't, you know, even near any of the trails. And then I took my stuff and went, you know, and found a good spot near that lake. And yeah, waking up next to that, you know, that morning, there was a nice low fog hanging over it and everything like that. And it was, it was just an experience, you know, and then that morning it was, it was pretty chilly. It was probably, probably about like low forties. And yeah, just walking around with that crisp morning air was definitely something that I'll never forget. You know, and it was just, it was just a good time in general. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now, did you, um, after you got home from that experience, did you appreciate the things in your home more? Because that's one thing that I definitely find is like, if you're freezing your nuts off in a sleeping bag, and I don't, you're not actually freezing your nuts off, right? Because you wouldn't, no. you wouldn't go out there with that kind of bad, bad equipment or whatever. But no, no. <laughs> when you get back to your home and it's climate controlled and you've got a shower and you can pick something out of the fridge and, you know, put it in a microwave or an oven, um, you're like, oh my God, this technology is incredible. Things that you just take for granted as your everyday life. But when you get back to it from camping, you're like, oh my God. Yeah, we no, definitely. This <laughs> is like living in friggin' Asbury. Oh, we live better than the Kings did, you know, 400 years ago, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, when you just get it every single day, almost essentially for free, you stop, um, being grateful for it, you know? So this is another example of why getting out in the wilderness, it totally resets all your expectations when it comes to those kind of things, which is nice because it makes your everyday life seem more magical, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which is, which, which is, I think, another, another benefit of that. Well, and I think, I think that's something we've noticed with the gatherings in general, outside of them being, you know, religious things, you know, and actually sitting down and, and calling to these gods, um, you know, just getting people away from their everyday life for four days is a huge deal for a lot of people. And I think, you know, that speaks for a lot of the experience people have because they're like, you know, wow, I haven't touched my phone all weekend, or I've just been outside around the fire drinking coffee and talking to people. And it's like, because that's more what humans are supposed to do, you know? <laughs> For sure, man. I think that your gatherings, the gatherings um, mimic that so well. And I mean, that's what humans have been doing for such a huge, long period of time. Um, so it's, it's incredible. I can't wait to experience it myself. Hopefully we're going to have be, be doing them in Canada soon. Um, yeah, I mean, I, they the should be more of a possibility now. Or are you trying to do them yourself? No, 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 okay. no. Uh, <laughs> okay, so we, so we got to do the work. We got to do the work. All right. You, all right. you guys got to do the work. You guys got to do the work. But uh, I mean, also the board has been shut down. I haven't even been able to come, you know, to things going on in Ohio or even Kentucky's really not that far from Ohio, you know, sorry, from Ontario rather. Um, but uh, the board has been shut down for almost all of COVID, unfortunately, right? But yeah, um, yeah the, the gatherings, the fact that you guys do them outside or the majority of the um, proceedings occur outside, I think it, it is a wonderful thing. Yeah, I've honestly struggled. I don't know, Ian. Have Ian? Have you done a ritual where they're inside? I can't remember. The if you only have. the only thing that we've really done that's been inside that I've done so far is just the two filia meditations. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's different. Yeah. But yeah, I've so I've done a couple because of the weather. We've had to do a couple of like the ancestor rituals, or even I think we had to do like a like an Ostara bloat uh at georgia last year it was just raining so hard we had to do it yeah. inside and it's like they're still good there's just something mm -hmm. missing you need to be under the open sky i feel like you know i feel like it just makes the god it's so much easier for the gods to connect with you and for you to connect with them and all that stuff absolutely man absolutely and have, have you guys ever incorporated magic mushrooms into like beyond an individual basis like have you ever made magic mushroom tea and then like offered it to the participants for example James, we're not allowed to talk about these things. We're not allowed to talk about these things officially. <laughs> <laughs> officially, 
we would <laughs> never do those things. Um, <laughs> but That's I think we've amazing. talked about it on the podcast before. Um, okay. We typically keep it to private events. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, now we still do them. Like we've done them in group environments before, but it's typically just with like very close knit people in the community because mushrooms in general, it's better to do them with people that you know um, in case something does happen. And so we've we had a private gathering uh, that was just you know uh, mostly the fellowship leaders, Ian, uh, some of the original people, and we ended up doing like a mushroom tea and just having like a ritual wandering around the woods, and it's a it's a great time. <laughs> you know, uh, Absolutely. And, I mean, something Absolutely. that we would love to do, um, it's a possibility um, now that we have nonprofit status, we can actually lobby to be allowed to use psychedelics like mushrooms uh, in, as a religious practice. There's actually a place here in Kentucky. It's a Christian church. Um, I don't know how Christian they actually are, but uh, they got legal ayahuasca trips. Um, yeah, wow. it's like 30 miles from here. Yeah. And if you remember their church, they have like, uh, you know, regulated ayahuasca trips they can do. Wow, that's incredible. If they're allowing them to do ayahuasca, I mean, mushrooms should be fine because ayahuasca is a much more, I think, a longer trip. Like that can be up to 24 hours, can it not? I think ayahuasca is actually one of the ones that's like a really intense, like 15, 30 minute one, I think. Is it really? Yeah, I think that's what, yeah, it's kind of like DMT. Not that I don't know what those things are. (laughs) (laughs) I went to art school, don't judge me. How do you think we make art? You think we just look at it? <laughs> no. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's hilarious. That's yeah, but that's hilarious. one of the things I loved about the honesty of uh, you know, your first video. Like in your in your freaking title is Magic Mushrooms, like right away. Uh, and I, I know Ian, good. you were thinking about like how he was like still doing stuff. Yeah, it was when you were doing your you were setting up your tarp and you were doing the knot works. And I was just like, how is this man doing these intricate knots right now on mushrooms? I was like, that's just impressive. Because one, I'm terrible at tying knots just normally. I was like, I can't even imagine doing that like on mushrooms right now. That's hilarious. Well, to be honest, I only did a half a gram. Like when I go out there, oh, I yeah, do yeah. a half a gram. So I, figured, I figured you weren't like completely traveling the realms you know, while no, you're out there. No, no, no. You're, you're not in the ninth dimension uh, talking with Balder uh, tree for sure. I mean, to be honest, that would be- Balder, I got to tie this knot. Leave me alone. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Seriously. I mean, to be honest, that would be almost idiotic because when you're mm-hmm. going, especially by yourself in the wilderness, there's about 10,000 ways you can kill yourself or be eaten asshole first by a pack of wolves or bears or something yeah. like that, right? So um, you don't want to do that much. You just want to do just enough to- to better connect yourself with the spirits that are around you, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so a half a gram, I think is, is more than enough. I wouldn't do more than that, you know, unless you're at night and your camp, you know, already settled down, but I don't know at night, man, that's when sick can get real weird. <laughs> that could get, that would yeah. be actually kind of terrifying. Like in the you're, you're going to be running with the wolves, eating things asshole first. If you start yeah. <laughs> Next morning, I know what happened again. I'm a wolf with you now. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It's not like you could do that now because you you shaved your beard, so they wouldn't they wouldn't take you. They wouldn't allow me in, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't, know, I'm, to, to our audience out there, I almost didn't let him on the show because he did it. Just like I know, no. I know, I know, I know. Well, historically, I do beard in the winter and then clean shave it in the summer, you know, just in case. So um, you got to do what you got to do. But well, I do and regret it. 
I mean, I talk to people about this all the time, uh, you know, because a lot of people in the military want beards. And so I, we get asked a lot, especially now that we're a nonprofit, um, you know, if they can get waivers. But like, technically, we really don't know anything, you know, if a beard was seen as religious. You know, in theory, they probably would have had beards in the winter because it keeps you warm. And then they most yeah. likely probably shave them off in the summer because they keep you hot. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's probably a practical thing. Um, but, you know, I think the, the beard has become more of a symbol in our modern time than it, ha it was anything in the past. For sure, for sure. And I mean, if you look at popular shows like The Last Kingdom of Vikings, I mean, there's so many hairstyles in there that you can tell those are heavily trimmed beards. All right. uh, or even, you know, it's just a goatee or just a, even a mustache that's left on, you know what I mean? So it would be very interesting to see culture by culture, tribe by tribe, you know, what the, the idea of... <laughs> If you were a man and you didn't have a beard, you know, would you be ostracized? It's like, you know, you lost your <laughs> you guys you ready to go down a weird rabbit hole. Yeah. So I went down this yeah. rabbit hole in art school because nice. uh, I was in an art history class and we were studying like ancient Egyptian art and all the statues naked are completely clean shaven. And I was like, you know what? I wonder like the popularity of pubic hair over like human history like uh, yeah we're seeing ups and downs and i actually did some research and yeah like the egyptians despised body hair like they saw body hair as like this uncleaned you know that was like for the slaves had body hair and so the especially the royalty were very obsessive about being like clean shaven from the eyebrow down basically uh and then it kind of, the greeks kind of picked that up as well as well as the romans and then as soon as you start getting into like the dark age and the fall of civilization a little bit that's when you started having just more body hair in general um and but it seems like the more society builds the more people are like ew pubes like get rid of those <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true that's true well i know like in the late roman empire that uh you know the mustache in in germanic earlier germanic paganism like we're talking goths franks uh, Lombards, you know, these kind of folks that were around right at the end of the, the, uh, the, the Roman Empire, they were all about the mustache, the giant handlebar mustache, yep. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't about beards at all, which is very, very interesting. And uh, I think arguably the handlebar mustache is even more badass than a beard. Like it's really fucking, I might be, be using the wrong term. You know what I mean? You know, like the biker mustache. Oh yeah. 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 Like, like ones. Mm. I don't know if handlebar is the correct term for that, but uh, just giant bushly mustaches. Uh, <laughs> and that, that was a sign of barbarism. I mean, for the Romans, it's like the Romans would never have a mustache. It's either, you know, a well-kept beard or completely clean shaven at that time. Um, yeah. But uh, apparently the youth in Rome that were like, oh, cool. They would actually try growing out a mustache for themselves, much to the chagrin <laughs> of their parents, right? Like the young teenage boys just to show they were badass or whatever. So I thought that was, that was kind of funny. But, you know, nobody really talks about the fact that the earlier Germanic tribes, it was very much, you know, running on the same sociocultural software as the later, you know, Danes and, and Swedes and all those folks, uh, it's, it's the handlebar mustache. It's not the beard at all, which is, which is really interesting. Um, yeah. I wonder where that switch came, you know, it's like, why did later Germanic peoples forget that essentially? you know, or go away. From yeah. It. Well, you know, I think I mean, just like there with the, like the youth in Rome growing mustaches as a sign of revolt and retaliation, because teenagers have not changed since the, the dawn mm -hmm. of man, they're the same. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think humans haven't changed that much. They really haven't since, you know, we were walking around in togas and, you know, or even, you know, past that inventing the wheel. I think at the end of the day, things come and go, styles come and go, uh, obviously more now just because everything moves so much faster. But I mean, there was probably, you know, during the Roman Empire, there was probably a time beards were in, then they were out. They were in, they were out. You know, all of a sudden sideburns were in and then they were out. And it's hard to say where it all starts, honestly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
Absolutely. Well, I'm all for bringing back handlebar mustaches. <laughs> Those mustaches are so freaking cool, man. They're so It's so cool. synonymous with like, you know, like a grungy biker kind of look now, I feel yeah. like. Well, it's funny because biker, you know, outlaw gangs. I mean, so many of them have like, you know, the barbarians, the Mongols. Um, I think there's one called the Pagans. Isn't there? Isn't there a biker gang called the Pagans? Maybe. I think that there is. Maybe. I think that there I know is. there's some that have like you know norse mythology related names but i don't know if they're like the good kind of pagans i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, most i mean most most biker games are yeah they're 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 criminal elements right uh, like the hell's angels and, and and all those kind of folks but it's just interesting that they've they've adopted many of these kind of barbarian uh styles yeah. uh because i mean were viking bands not like the ancient world's uh biker gangs i mean in 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 a sense i think that's an interesting analogy you know? Yeah, I think I think yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I, I will say for our historic uh, historians that watch the podcast uh, is or listen to the podcast, I get confused now. Uh, but one of the things we can <laughs> say is that the Viking, the Scandinavian people were very groomed because they did find so many evidence, uh, so much evidence of like, you know, combs and brushes and mm -hmm. things like that. So they did care about their outward appearance. So clearly style, they weren't, you know, dirty barbarians running around all the time. They They were actually pretty, pretty clean and well kept for the time. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Isn't there a lot of conjecture about um, uh, like versus the Anglo-Saxons that they were actually much cleanlier in their practices yeah. at that there's time, like, like in the 800s and 900s? Yeah, I know there's a lot of like internet jokes too, like re referring to that, you know, like being called like dirty barbarians or like dirty Vikings. But then it's like you have yeah the evidence of that they were relatively much cleanlier people, um, you know, and hygiene was a big deal compared to a lot of uh the anglo-saxon uh areas and stuff like that so there's some i don't know if, like how official or like how realistic it is but yeah there is to some degree some evidence stating that they they were pretty well and i think that well translates cared. to today you know the scandinavian people are like an incredibly clean people you know yeah. much like the you know <laughs> much like the japanese like they're just weird you know i don't know what makes them different about it or why being up there made them like no we have to keep this clean <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true. I wonder what that connection is. I mean, they're definitely some of the wealthiest countries in the world, like in terms of GDP per capita, right? I wonder if it's a wealth thing or is it a northern thing or is it something else in the in that sociocultural software that maybe makes freezing it your so nuts clean? off every winter just makes you like cleaner. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it it very well could. It it, it very well could. Um, but uh, yeah, for the past two years, I've been working on this uh, TV show and. Um, it's it's basically set in very late Rome with those same kind of groups that I just mentioned, like the Goths and the Franks, uh, the Alamanni, all these kind of folks. And uh, it's now morphed into a book because what I found in this process is that to get a show made of this nature, uh, you can't just write a pilot script because usually what happens in TV world is if you write a great pilot script. So like the first episode and you pitch that around and you get someone who believes in it then you'll get the funding and you know you'll you'll write out the rest of the first season and move into production and all that kind of stuff but the nature of the industry now and the nature of this particular kind of show right if you're doing a sword and sandals epic like vikings or the last kingdom or game of thrones or the wheel of time these kind of shows right uh what you really need to do is you need to write a book and because uh a book basically has the blueprint for an entire season at a time mm, yeah um and also you need to get not just write a book but you need to get the book successfully published for it to be considered because these kind of shows are so complicated and expensive to make. Uh, content executives 
are not willing to bet the money unless it's basically kind of a proven, a proven commodity. Yeah. So that's been a very interesting learning process for me because this kind of information is not readily available online. And it's very difficult to talk to, to get in front of creative executives. It's taken me a very long time to even talk briefly with some of them. And the immediate feedback you hear is the only way this kind of thing is work, will work is if you write the book and then the book gets published. So that's, that's what I'm doing now is I've recently changed gears into actually starting to write the book versus the, versus the screenplay. Um, because unfortunately that's the only way something like this, this will work. Um, but, uh, I heard the review that you guys did on Vikings and I don't know if you're going to do one on the last kingdom coming up, but it's, it's so great that these kind of shows exist out there, I think for the, for the faith. And I mean, arguably those two shows have done more for Germanic paganism than anything in the past, you know, 50 years combined. I would oh, yeah. say. I would definitely yeah. say as far as like awareness, you know, I mean, shoot, you know, if I could pull up my analytics from, you know, my YouTube, literally, you know, everything was going steady until Vic uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the video game came out. And all of a sudden it was like, pew, just like through the roof. And that's where the wisdom of Odin really took off um, just because people were playing the game and they were like, huh, Vikings, Viking religion, literally Google search Viking religion, see what pops up. And that kind of really leads them down the rabbit hole. Um, and we see this every single time, uh, you know, a new show comes out, uh, you yeah. know, or a new game. Or even like, you know, just like a new book or something like that. You know, it just raises more awareness. Like our last guest we just had on here, uh, her episode comes out today as, as we're recording this, jo uh, Joanna Wittenberg. She wrote a book on Viking Age warrior queens. And it's like a historical fiction. And um, it's about Osa, which is actually historically written as a like queen. She was the mother of Halfton the Black. So a very famous Viking. Uh, but, you know, it, all it says is that she was a warrior queen. And that was basically it. So she kind of filled in the blanks. Um, so I think all these things are just br bringing more awareness. Like there's definitely that hate around it. Like people definitely can hate on the shows pretty hard. Uh, but yeah, like, like you said, I, I think I'm with you in it. it. I think they've done a lot of good at the same time. Oh, for sure. Even just to see visually uh, give people an idea of, you know, how these things functioned. Uh, some of the, you know, the religious parts of the, um, of the culture. It's just, it's just been absolutely fascinating for you guys personally in your lives. What has been the impact of those shows? If, if anything. Hmm. Oh, you're cross interviewing us now. All right. This is my show, James. You don't ask me questions. <laughs> don't listen to him, Ian. Don't give it. <laughs> well, no, no, he's got me thinking now. Yeah. No, I would. I could tell you mine because for me, yeah, the reason that I became a pagan in the first place is because of these shows. I guess, you know, when Vikings was coming out, I was, it being the first time that I was experimenting with magic mushrooms and I was kind of re, you know, questioning, like, I felt like I, 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 there was a lot of, what is the word, nihilism in my life, lacking spiritual direction. I love the outdoors and seeing Vikings, particularly that episode in Uppsala, where they're, you know, doing the human sacrifices and magic mushrooms and everything. It made me realize like, oh my God, that's the spiritual connection for me is it it's that's it's the pagan connection with with nature the worship of nature the worship of trees and bears and eagles and ravens that is my that's the that's the spirituality for me that's the religion for me uh it really opened my eyes because i don't know because you know christianity just didn't really speak to me 
So if I hadn't seen that television show, I don't know if I would have ever, you know, put the two and two together, to be honest. So it had a huge, I think, huge impact on my life. And uh, it's clear that it's been put in, in, in front of the faith in front of millions and millions of eyeballs. Oh, yeah. So, well, especially considering paganism was so hated on for, I mean, mm -hmm. even up to like the 2000s, you know, uh, you know, metal bands, you know, Elvis Presley was seen as like a devil worshiper because of the way he yeah. danced, you know, so we, <laughs> we've come a long way since the 50s when, you know, anything that we would do now, even even having this conversation in any kind of public way would have been very discriminated against. Um, sure. So yeah, I would agree that, you know, yeah, media for sure. Uh, and to answer your question, um, I, I think the biggest impact for me was music. Um, cause I think that's what got me in the Vikings show initially. Cause I can remember when hearing like, you know, uh, Einar Selvig, you know, being in the show. Cause he, I think he started in season two or season three, you know, there's a scene where he's like on the edge of a dock, you know, singing and banging a drum, mm -hmm. um, and really starting to hear all the music come together. That's really started. I feel like what woke everything up in me was just mm -hmm. the ambient noise, the, the sound of, you know, a ship going over water. Uh, maybe it was an ancestral thing that brought me back. Like, oh, these are the song, you know, the noises of a long lost people. Um, so yeah, I would say that's kind of what's stuck with me is the the ambience from it all. For me, but, uh, it 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 more like for me it was more of a it solidified what I was already um, starting to dip my toes in because uh, I'm trying to think when exactly what year exactly did the Vikings first season? 2013. 2012? Okay, yeah. So I was I was just starting to dip my toes into the North pagan aspect of it because I was originally uh, dabbling with Celtic paganism for a bit for about a year, mm -hmm. and then I transferred. You know, basically started going into Norse paganism from there. And yeah, so about that time frame, actually, yeah, it would have been when the first season of Vikings came out. Um, and for me, I was just kind of solidifying. You know, this is this is this feels right. Kind of like what Jacob was saying. You know, combination of like the music and just this felt just right. For me and then i got hooked onto it and everything like that and then i've rewatched it time and time again and i pick out little bits and pieces that i didn't notice before i have a greater appreciation for now that i'm a lot deeper into the practice and stuff like that so for me it was just yeah solidifying something that i was already feeling called to and it just kind of like sealed the deal from there and i you know i haven't really looked back since right on interesting so it did it did have a really big impact then in yeah i would say so Wow, that's fantastic. And that's really interesting about the Celtic paganism thing as well. I feel like Celtic paganism plays such a second fiddle to Germanic paganism in popular culture now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just feel like there's no major TV shows about it, really. Um, there's just not as much information out there. There's no, also not any, there are no real tomes like the prose that are a poetic at it, right? Yeah, there's, no, no, there's no central knowledge. There's a lot of no. stories. And I think it's just harder to go. It's honestly really hard to dissect because it's really hard to determine what's a god, what's a hero, what's just a folk tale. Um, yeah. And then it gets so merged with Anglo-Saxon myth and then Viking and then uh, on top of that, this Christianization. So I think it's just really messy to dig through. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would yeah, yeah. I would say our like the, the biggest thing that anybody would have a solid knowledge on is I know there is like a Druid college. I believe it is in the UK, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head, where they are kind of like they have taken up that mantle of kind of keeping that way of life and like that practice preserved. Now, how you know, influence it has been over the, you know, the centuries. I don't know. I've, I've, I've never been to any of their, their seminars or whatever they actually hold on to out there. But, um, you know, I would say they're probably the, that group, that main group that is kind of keeping that part of life. But yeah, as far as like media aspects and stuff like that, there really isn't anything TV show wise. I mean, kind of like what Jacob was saying, a lot of it is muddled together. I, I was watching, um, 
the movie King Arthur that covers a more historically accurate part covering Arturius, um, you know, being a Roman and but also being from Britain during that time period. And like to me, the you know, that's more of like a Celtic aspect more than you know, uh, Norse or Germanic people, but. So the book I just pulled down, this is the best book I've ever found on Celtic myth. It's Celtic myth and magic by, um, Eden McCoy. Um, so it's really thick surprisingly. And it's got just a list of like all the deities and the holidays and how to like, like perform rituals and stuff. But it's also the reminder of why I, I think Celtic paganism has kind of dropped to the wayside. And it's because Wicca is heavily based off of Celtic myth, I believe. Ah. Because uh, Wicca came from England. And I think a lot of things that became Wicca were Celtic. A lot of like, you know, uh, Samhain and uh, like a lot of the holidays, like uh, Beltane. I think a lot of things come from the Celtic side. Again, I, I might get crucified by the witches here for saying those things. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure a lot of the stuff that uh, that Wicca became came from Celtic myth. Interesting. My my neighbor just got engaged to a, a Wic, Wiccan individual uh, lady. So they're having a, a Wiccan uh, wedding, which I am I am invited to, which I'm very excited about. Nice. But uh <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. I guess you know Wicca and witchcraft, and you really see it on Instagram and TikTok. There, there's there are very big communities out there. It seems for those kind of things. It seems incredibly female dominated, though, right? Like it's almost like a non-masculine. Like men are almost not welcome or not encouraged to participate or something like that. Is that correct? I can't speak for maybe Ian, you might know more than I, I feel like you know more about Wicca than I do, but I think my understanding there, there's two fold things here. One, Harry yeah. Potter, Wicca skyrocketed <laughs> in popularity, Wicca yeah. witchcraft because of Harry Potter. They don't want to admit it, but it's fucking true. Uh, <laughs> but two, oh, yeah. I think the reason that it's very female oriented is maybe it's female forward because uh, the, the market for witchcraft channels and Wicca channels are of mm -hmm. a, uh, you know, here's the setup. You get light visuals, you get a pretty woman, and she does witch stuff. Those videos do yep. great. Like there are so many, no no harm against those. You know, I've talked to, uh, you know, Scarlet Ravenswood. I've talked to the Green Witch. They're wonderful people, but there's a lot of them out there that create content like that. And I think it's just become a very popular, like you said, like escapism. Like a lot of people watch those videos to, you know, to just escape into something and they've just become very popular. Yeah, I very would say, I would say, I think like a lot of people still associate just the term witch with strictly female you know i think that is a big issue with or like not necessarily an issue but i think that's where the is more of a heavy feminine um uh collective where i think a lot of people still just coin the term witch with being a woman that practices witchcraft and i think that is why primarily a lot of the wiccan um, practitioners are focused around you know, a more female audience. Well, I and I think a lot of our, our, uh, our women in the community, which again, I am, I feel so lucky that we have not ended up with a sausage fest, which is a lot of the times what happens in heathenry <laughs> um, is it's like 95% men. I would say our gatherings are almost 60, 40, if not 50, 50, most of the time, which is great. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the women in the community come from a Wicca or a witchcraft background. Um, and a lot of, you know, cause the distinction between witchcraft and Wicca, um, is a lot of the women in the community still practice some form of witchcraft, um, while mm -hmm. being Norse pagan, or at least right come from Wicca. Right on. I still think, I feel like they're almost our cousins though, too, because like oh, yeah. the last two girls that I dated were both kind of witchy i would say like oh, yeah. i could never date a girl anymore that's complete you know uh militant atheist uh nihilist you know hates all religion all that kind of stuff she needs to be at least a little bit if not like you know a germanic pagan, <laughs> interesting in the spiritual least, 
Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Have right? a fond so, connection to Lord of the Rings. You know, do you feel something <laughs> when you watch Lord of the Rings? Okay, you, you're good. Exactly. Exactly. But I mean, there's a definite overlap there, and even if they're not practicing the same things that you are, at least there's an understanding there, right? Oh, at yeah. least yeah. they're they're essentially a pagan of sorts. And they're going to be cool with your lifestyle and you'll have shared values and all that kind of stuff. You won't have to explain, you know, everything, all that, all that kind of jazz. Um, but uh, that's another great, that's another thing with like the Celtic paganism stuff is even if you have that, that heritage, it's just so hard to find that community out there. Like with Germanic paganism, there's such an enormous online community and local communities out there much, you know, thanks to guys like you two that are, that are building it. Um, it's, it's so easy to get into it because you feel like there's an actual community out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons we went with Northern traditions as our tagline. Like we were still, I would say we're still predominantly, uh, you know, Norse pagan, but like Kevin in our community uh, follows mm -hmm. the Celtic deities, but also the Norse at the same time. Uh, and uh, I think was it survive the jive actually even said that, you know, he sees the, uh, you know, Anglo-Saxon and Norse and, you know, Celtic all kind of in the same sphere or was that, yeah. was that him or was that might, Joanna? I, I can't remember. I believe, I believe it might've been, I think it might've been. It was him. either one of them, but I agree. I mean, cause I have that book myths and symbols in pagan Europe and there's so many commonalities between Germanic, Scandinavian, mm -hmm. Celtic, and even Slavic. I mean, Anglo-Saxon, they're all so similar. We're just changing names at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it. I think it was survive the giant because I it was when I brought up the the knot work video yeah, that he yeah. did, where all of them kind of just branched off of each other, or they all have these similarities, but at the same time, like they are essentially the same. It's just each region has their own style to the same thing, basically. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. One really interesting uh, snapshot into the Celtic world is uh, Julius Caesar's the Gallic campaign. For any like pagan out there mm, who has yep. not read that book. It's fucking fascinating to get a step-by-step, -step, you know, walkthrough of the Celtic Holocaust or the, you know, the Celtic, uh, the conquering of the Celtic peoples from Julius Caesar, but also all of his insights to the sociocultural practices that they do. It's absolutely fascinating, that book. It's mind-boggling. I, I think I've probably read it seven or eight times, literally. Like, it's it's so... Yeah, so, I mean, so, that's, so, so, that's so. how I feel about Germania, too. Germania, like, the first time I read it, it was like a whole new world opened up. Uh, oh yeah yeah have you actually gleaned anything jacob because i found in the research for my television series now book that uh that gave so many fascinating like scene ideas in that book i'm wondering if either of you guys have have you know because they he goes through and gives little examples of all the different tribes the kind of things that they would do right yeah like this yeah. is one example of some scene where in a in a certain sacred grove like they had people had to fall on their knees and roll into it or like roll out of it for some reason. Hmm. Like, oh, like that's that's really interesting. Yeah. Like the entrance and exit of the sacred grove, you don't just walk into it, right? It's like, how would you know that if it wasn't for that example from Tacitus? Yeah. Um, it's just such it's such an interesting book. And I guess the Gallic campaign, he does talk about some Germanic stuff because Julius Caesar did have some interaction with some of the Germanic tribes at that time, mm -hmm. but not to the same, you know, depth of what, of what Tacitus was doing. That, that's, that's such a cool book. That's yeah, such a cool uh, book. The only thing I can uh, say that's similar to that is in uh, Saxo Grammaticus's The History of the Danes, volume two, which I don't know, it's really hard to get a copy of. Um, have you ever re read into those at all? It covers more Slavic. No, no. Oh, good. Well, this is good because I'm releasing a video here soon. So this is one of those weird books that's gotten <laughs> lost in time. So you can actually get Saxo Grammaticus's The History of the Danes, Volume 1, which is the first like seven books. Uh, you can get that online right now.
but for some reason volume two is almost lost to the universe uh you can only get a copy that was printed in like the 50s and they were like hundreds of dollars uh it hasn't been printed in decades uh and luckily someone in our community found a pdf and so i have the pdf version of it uh and it's honestly very dry it's i mean hundreds of pages uh you know it's got the latin translation the english but then there's this random section of like 14 pages that perfectly describe a ceremony and uh, rites and a temple to the god um, Svetovin uh, in Slavic paganism. And it goes through what offerings they gave, how they gave to him, how they determined whether or not his signs were realized um, all the way up to the point where the Romans came in and tore it down. No way. That is yeah. so cool. It's fucking long though. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm just going to do a video where I read it. I'm just going to be like, look, this is knowledge that's been lost and it's been kind of slightly gatekeeped a little bit because people can't get it. So I'm just going to read it. Um, and so if I get assassinated after that, you know, it's like the mysterious <laughs> like order <laughs> right. right here. This is my message. Oh, I'm man. a happy individual. If I mysteriously end up depressed and killing myself, it was not real. <laughs> it's because I made this <laughs> video. Inside <laughs> yeah. That's um, hilarious. But it's not man. the first is, time you, I've come up on that kind of stuff. There's so many books that you just can't get anymore. Is it because it's not uh, financially viable to release it because there's not the audience, do you think? Or is it because it's the manuscript's incomplete, so it's difficult to publish it? Um, I you know think. What I mean? You know, the only good answer I would say is probably the first one is, you know, maybe people just don't see it as financially viable. Uh, but with things like Sasso Grammaticus is the history of the Danes, volume two, why have they published volume one, but not volume two? Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and why not put it in one tome? Right. Um, yeah. Or like the book I just got, The Gragas Laws. I just purchased a book about medieval Icelandic law. Like if there's a market for medieval Icelandic law, there's a market for volume two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, True. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, with risk of, you know, putting myself on a, some kind of list, uh, you know, I do think <laughs> I do think that there is a little bit of a snobbery to the scholarly world. Not all scholars, obviously, but I do think there's this idea of some knowledge isn't worthy of us. You know, mm -hmm. the normal people mm -hmm. like this is just like the Oxford edition. Like we have one copy in the Oxford library. That's ours. And you have to be like X rank whatever to get it. And I, I do yeah. think that exists out there. Oh yeah, definitely. Cause yeah. I mean, like I, I, I think I may have mentioned it on the podcast a long time ago. No, you're still but, alive. So it's okay. Yeah. I'm still alive. <laughs> and it's, it's a particular um, set of, of books or well, a book and, and notes and stuff from uh, Sir Isaac Newton and his dabbling with alchemy. Um, and there are seven pages from his personal notes and things like that that are not published in the main book that I currently have. And from what, I'm, from what I remember is four out of those seven are in private collectors, like possessions. And then the other three are in the Cambridge library. And the only way you can access that is if you go to Cambridge and like very particularly mm -hmm. group. So it's like, hmm, like, come on guys. Like if I could get one thing, it would be all seven of those pages <laughs> so I can finish, you know, reading that stuff. But yeah, I, I think to some degree, yeah, I kind of like what you're saying, Jacob, there's like that snobbery or like that, that elitist knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. this knowledge is not meant yeah, for the common folk or, you know, I mean, look, I mean, every, a lot of things in our modern world comes from Christianity. And I mean, how long do they control the only translations of the Bible? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Have you guys seen uh, The Last Kingdom? Not the, the newest season. season. I, I'm, Not all, I'm caught up to the newest season, but I haven't, haven't started that yet. 
God, you guys got to check it out. It's oh, pretty yeah, yeah. fucking cool. Yeah, because I felt the last few seasons of The Last Kingdom have kind of, you know, gone downhill. They really got away from the books, but the, the final season is pretty, pretty darn well done. I shed a, shed a tear or two. Maybe, oh, yeah. maybe okay. not. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and uh, it's really well done. And now I think there's a two-hour film, which is going to be the finale coming up in the next few months. But uh, that's another great, you know, show that I don't think gets talked about enough. One reason being it's got a bad title in that it doesn't say what it is, right? Vikings, what it's about, everybody knows. But when you right. see The Last Kingdom on Netflix, people are like, The Last Kingdom of what, right? They don't right. realize yeah. that it's, it's it's total Viking era stuff. Well, that's it's not even incredible. what the books are called, right? The books are called something different, aren't they? Oh God, you know what, man? I think I've actually read that book series like nine times start to finish. <laughs> and I, I think it actually is. I think it actually, it, it might've been called like the Warlord Chronicle at first, yeah, but now like, it's being renamed to The Last Kingdom. The last kingdom. Um, I'm going to the internet. Cover for me, boys. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah, find this out. out. Check it out. I mean, it's right. unfortunate because they could have called it at least something like, you know, the end of Anglo-Saxon or like, you know, the beginning of the, I don't know. You know what I mean? At least yeah, something that hinted at what it was. Um, but uh, it, that that's another great series. I think that overall that series is better than Vikings, to be honest. One of the reasons being that uh, there's a lot more comedy in it. Like it's not a it's not a comedy, but there's a lot yeah. more comedic relief similar to what is oh in gosh, Game of Thrones with so like many Tyrion books. Lannister. Yeah, there's a lot there. I believe there's 13. I believe there's 13 of them. But for any pagan out there who hasn't read the book series, oh my God, it is phenomenal. And there's so much, his historical research, Bernard Cornwell, is amazing. So if you really want to get a snapshot of what but pagan uh, Anglo-Saxon England was like, wow. Yeah, that's that's what I appreciate, you know, about the Last Kingdom compared to like just Vikings. I feel like it hit a more uh, realistic standpoint where Vikings obviously kind of did branch off and take advantage of like the Viking aesthetic and like Vikings are, you know, nothing but warriors. So like that, like, yes, they did have like the farming aspect and like, you know, what they really did, but I feel like Last Kingdom historically hit things a lot better um, compared to Vikings overall. And I, I definitely appreciated that. I feel like it wasn't quite so uh, overly done. Okay, here's your answer, boys. Uh, it's called this. <laughs> <laughs> I've done the research. Uh, so it's actually the Saxon stories is what it was oh. called. Uh, and the first book was called The Last Kingdom. And that's why the show is called The Last Kingdom. Ah, interesting, yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah, I much uh, one of the books is called The Pagan Lord or I would have much that would have been cool. I feel like if they would have called it The Pagan Lord like <laughs> full send, you know, I'm yeah. in. <laughs> That's right. I think I've got one of the books on my table here, but uh yeah, it's a phenomenal series if you guys haven't read it. Oh my goodness. Show off your Adam's apple right now. I know it's defined. Get it out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. For fuck's um, sake, people are going to look at my channel and they're like oh let me check this dude's instagram god he never wears a fucking shirt like <laughs> hey now i've got a i've got a medical uh condition that requires me to do that so uh oh <laughs> uh, yeah you have to get like a certain amount of sun every day like 70 percent sun exposure exactly exactly uh, <laughs> oh man i can't find i can't find it anyways i got i got all the books lying around here somewhere but uh yeah it's 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 a phenomenal series actually george r, r. martin wrote that Bernard Cornwell writes better battle scenes than any other author that he has hmm. read. So that's high praise coming from, from the R.R. R. Martin himself. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that guy's, that guy's pretty awesome. That guy, um, that yeah. Awesome. I think the problem with the last kingdom, um, honestly, every time I talk to someone about it, they're like, I couldn't get past the first season. And I do think the first mm. season drags quite a bit. 
Um, and I, I personally, for me, I thought Uhtred was just a shitbag of a character. Uh, and like, I just didn't find him interesting. I'm like, if this is my main character, I'm not really in. But I think in season two is when it picks up and, you know, and you start seeing Uhtred mature. Because that's one of the best things about the show to me and watching it is seeing his character transform from this kind of like, you know, annoying teenage boy all the way up to a man who's gone through great loss. And he shows that really well. For sure. Yeah. That's an interesting point because I watched the first season already having being a huge fan of the series. Mm. So I was like, of course I'm going to watch the whole first season, but that's interesting right. to hear you, to, to hear you say that, man. Ian, did you find that? Have you seen Ian? Have you seen the whole series? Uh, I have, I've seen everything up to the final season. I just have to watch that. But yeah, I, it took me, it took me probably two, two attempts to get through the first season. Cause yeah, I had a very similar kind of mindset because I think I had just gotten done watching whatever current season of Vikings had come out around the time that that the first season of uh, The Last Kingdom had come out or that I had discovered. I think maybe season two might have been out by that point that I had started. And yeah, I think it, because I'd watched Vikings and it was so different and, you know, at that point in Vikings, it was much more quicker pace. Um, yeah, it, it, it was a struggle for me to get through season one. So it took me two attempts to get through um, to actually start to watch. But yeah, like once I got through it, I was hooked and yeah, it definitely picked up a lot better and not having read the books. I think that, yeah, it's probably why I think anybody who has read the books has a greater appreciation for the show starting out. Um, than say somebody like myself or like Jacob, who had, I don't, you haven't read the books, right? No, I haven't read the books. I yeah. So I think, <laughs> so I think, yeah, those, I think those who haven't read the books and appreciated the story for what it is, I think might have a slightly harder time getting into the first season, but yeah, once you get past that, it's yeah, it's, a phenomenal show and i've loved it i'm excited to start the last uh season of it but yeah i wanted to kind of come down from just watching vikings valhalla and then go into it yeah 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 and i mean the books are so much better so much better than the show um are, are you guys worried at all that now that the last kingdom's coming offline and i guess vikings valhalla is designed for i guess a three season arc Call are you were you worried that uh <laughs> Are you worried that the, the, the growth of the faith will see some slowing now that maybe we've we're over the hump of like, you know, huge amount of media? I guess there'll always be the Thor movies from Marvel, but yeah, but those, those, those are going to slow down. So or? Uh, personally, based mm -hmm. on my finger on the pulse, I think you could argue right now might be the peak because we have so much Viking content coming out this year because we still have the Northman movie coming out, oh. uh, which I'm so pumped for. I'm so uh, so excited for that. Uh, and then you still have God of War coming out this year. Uh, and then you have Hellblade Sending with Sacrifice 2. Uh, so, I mean, that's a lot of Viking media for one year. And I think one of the things with content and media and when things get picked up is it's going to reach a peak. Everyone's going to get saturated with it and they're going to drop it. Uh, so I do think we will have to accept the time that Vikings will slow down a lot. I think it's going to start declining after this, but I don't think it's ever going to go away. I think the, the fan base it's created of just people that like Vikings now is so strong that I don't think it's actually going to disappear. It's just going to slow down. For sure. For sure. And I think that also for the content uh, platforms out there, they're like, holy shit, there's a huge appetite for this and oh, we got to yeah. keep it satiated. I mean, that's one of the strategies I'm taking with the story that I'm trying to tell um, because, you know, th there's a huge audience out there for this stuff. So once these shows go away, I mean, there's so many stories from that era that can be told. And it's such a long, if you go back to the earlier Germanic tribes of even, you know, the time of Julius Caesar's conquest of the Celts, you're essentially dealing with like a thousand years of history, right? Because Julius Caesar is like 55 BC. If you take that all the way up to the Viking era, call it, you know, like a thousand AD, 
that's a thousand years of like Germanic pagan right. cultures. Well, and and then you have so many stories. Uh, I think the early, yeah, well, I was going to say barbarian season. Have you seen barbarians? barbarians? Yeah, I yep. thought it was absolutely, I, I mean, I thought it sucked. A, what? A fat, a fat, fat donkey what? penis. <laughs> to be to be completely honest. really oh yeah i just thought it was oh dude it was so bad because you can tell it's just the way it was shot you could tell the budget was so tiny this is just 12 dudes running around the forest you know it's hey, like it's like shut up man writing his screenplay in a coffee shop on tuesdays <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean like they don't show that like the the scale of the show is is just wasn't there for me you know what i mean like showing mm. a roman column going deep into enemy territory with six guys in it with like a roman general at the head of a column of six horses is like are you fucking kidding me so i <laughs> i understood you know they they probably had a very tiny budget in what they were doing but it was just uh i don't know i felt very underwhelming you know mm. to me but um Hey, it's another it's another show out there, right? So yeah. I guess it's, it's a good thing at the end of the day. But you guys liked it. You guys enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed the German aspect, the fact that it was yeah. in German and Latin and stuff like that. I think that it shows that there was a lot of care for it. Yeah, yeah. That I, was cool. I enjoyed I enjoyed the 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 pagan aspect of it because I feel like they showed a different side of things uh, that isn't necessarily shown because like normally we get like Vikings and stuff like that where it's more of the the you know scandinavian aspect of it compared to the actual like old germanic ways of doing things and you know referring to odin as woden and things like that so i i appreciated a different lens on the entire practice yep yep now i will say um one thing that actually uh it came up to me earlier have you seen uh how, how big into high lung are you james oh i love high lung i oh, was yeah, just I was to say, today yeah well of course you are those guys yeah, are fucking uh, great have you been to a live show yet no no oh, wait were you that in colorado oh i've been to two shows homie yeah i've been to colorado and i've been to chicago the first time uh man that you talk about experiences that will blow your freaking mind like (laughs) uh me and ian are gonna go in uh, minnesota in september again i'm kind of making it a little bit of a requirement not like a hard requirement but (laughs) it's like a leader in the community i really want them to see highlung because that is very much the blueprint for what gave me the rituals and the gatherings is i went to that first show in january of 2020 and i'm like this is what the world needs and then three months later had the first gathering so highlung is definitely the biggest influence for me uh, as far as like the gatherings and stuff wow no way you don't say because you see i've seen some clips online i'm like this is a full-on fucking cirque du soleil disney experience like it's intense yeah, so that really gave you that much inspiration wow oh, i had yeah. no idea oh you need to go like can you I get to minnesota, minnesota. Yeah. dude come to minnesota it's like 50 yeah, bucks saint paul right is that where yeah. saint paul? yeah saint paul minnesota yeah that's where it's at so let's, well, let's well, like do it. bushcraft outside of saint paul <laughs> <laughs> for sure just show up completely naked covered in <laughs> mud at the show uh, i mean honestly they would allow it probably like probably. <laughs> i mean half the people on stage are like half naked anyways so yeah well the question is do you go to the show jacked on mushrooms or jacked on bruise not the bruise thing i don't think you're going to be able to feel it as much because like nah. uh in the show in california uh you know red rocks is an amazing venue outside under the stars big giant rocks it's dope um, but at one point I looked over cause Caleb, the uh, other show, uh, co-host that, uh, recently had a kid, which is why he's not on the show. Um, 
he was right next to me at the show and he's really into like Odin and the warrior energy and stuff like that. And we were on uh, Alfader high tier. So like the song about oh, Odin and yeah, I looked yeah, at yeah, him yeah. and well, first off I was like, dude, take off your shoes. And he's like, what? He's like, dude, take off your shoes. <laughs> so we take off our shoes and he's like, whoa. Cause you can feel the vibration in the floor, uh, which is really wow. cool. And then as soon as it gets to that song, they get to the point, uh, which Ian and I recently found out, uh, in that song, there's a line that's all father high tier, which is basically the title. And it means, uh, and we call him all father. And then it does the drop and it just starts listing all the names. And that's yeah. what we got to that point, And I looked at Caleb right before it happened. I'm like, you're not fucking ready. And he was like, what? And then it like it drops <laughs> and he just lets out this blood curdling, like, oh, you know, the top of his <laughs> That's awesome. But, I know the part that you mean. That's where like they've got like the the like the hugging and munning, like the yeah. the the the, yeah. the, uh, the raven cause. Yeah. Like, caw, 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 it, it, and then it breaks down. Oh man. Yeah. That would be insane. That would be. Oh insane. yeah. My, one of my favorite stories is the first time I went to go see him. Uh, there was a guy next to me, totally like a headbanger, you know, long hair. He's been to metal shows, kind of guy. And as soon as it got to that song, I saw him. He was just vibing. And as soon as it dropped, he was just like. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like he was gone the rest of the show just head down i swear i saw drool just flying like he was gone man <laughs> that is a weird reaction but i guess it was a good one i guess it was a good one yeah those guys are fucking amazing man um, yeah and that's definitely like you know that's not even viking age that's really more of like the germanic pagan yeah. rome era kind of stuff for yeah, sure the hardcore stuff well i've even heard uh einar selvig say that his inspiration is not really the viking era but like the uh the the Volkerwanderung, like the Germanic, you know, the Goths, Franks, that whole period. Um, more so. Have you guys heard that? Have you heard? Him talk I, yeah, about I've that? heard it more about like he's more about the like Bronze and Bronze Age than the Iron Age or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. some of his the instruments that they use are actually like Bronze Age uh, horns and stuff like that. The really long ones that they have. I think those are actually Celtic in nature, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, like the ones that are like wrapped around them. And yeah, like yeah, yeah. I believe those are Celtic in nature, where they come from, around that that era. That is so freaking Yeah, cool. so no, like James, uh, I, I am a doctor at this moment and I'm prescribing <laughs> you. And this will help with your, your shirt taking off syndrome you were talking about. Uh, you know, go to a high lung show, it's going to cure you right up. Well, not really. Hey, <laughs> for sure, for sure. But I mean, are they serving uh, beer? Are they serving beer and alcohol in that show? Or is uh, everyone stone cold like so? No, uh, most every show I've been to, they serve alcohol. Got it. Yeah, gotcha. and I'm sure there's people tripping balls. And the one show was in Colorado, so everyone there's people smoking a joint right next to me during the show. Got it, got it, got it, got it. And are there a lot of uh, pagan babes there? High pagan babes, or is it like very high, very high male? Oh, there's so many <laughs> pagan babes, James. <laughs> Dude, it's like that was the first time I went to the. Uh, it was actually Wardruna was the first time I went. I went to Red Rocks and saw Wardruna there, and I looked around. I'm like, dude. There's like a lot of chicks here. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, yeah, you're in now. <laughs> right on. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's hard to find because, like in this community, if you like finding people who are similarly minded, right, it, it narrows down the populace um, in terms of finding people who are like minded, right? I guess, like what I said before, there are a lot of girls out there now who are even in big cities who are into witchy stuff, like right. new age stuff. So I think you know the acceptability of being a pagan yourself is is not that hard to uh to find a match with but yeah that's cool how much activity is going on up in canada you guys with uh with your network do you know how uh, many followers you have in canada like for, no, for both of I you on your instagrams one, and stuff no not definitely not like the instagrams not and stuff insta, no. um 
we did a census not too long ago of just like our discord which doesn't really account for everyone but i think there's like 20 or something like that in canada floating around um, right. but with the website and how we're doing things now honestly i think we could we could do a gathering of probably 20 or 30 there pretty easily just uh, you know it's so big up there as you know so getting the right half of canada to do it in would be the, the challenge got it got it and i have a, i have another question about uh i see you're going to be doing an event over in holland is that correct coming up the netherlands yeah the Netherlands, got it. Um, so how is this viewed in like Scandinavia and other Germanic countries? How is the faith viewed because there's more of a direct connection there with uh, the vast majority of people's ancestors were practicing this religion as opposed to in North America where it's more of, more of a mishmash. Um, like how is it viewed? Like is it, so, do you know what I mean? Is it in a neutral light, in a negative light, in a positive light? So it's bizarre. So I, I actually did kind of investigate this while I was there. Um, so here in the States, paganism, again, has been very, you know, it never really existed here, at least not in the Western European mindset, because everyone came here escaping, Christian. you know, escaping various forms of Christianity. Um, so there's just so much Christianity laid in the foundation of North America. Uh, so we've had a more of an explosive moment in the last 50, 60 years of paganism spreading. Whereas in Europe, it never truly went away. It just went underground. And I would argue that's just how it's been for the last thousand years. And so a lot of the groups that exist there have been doing it for hundreds of years, and they've just been doing it under the radar. And so they're not interested in growing. They're not interested in spreading. You know, they don't mean anyone any harm, but they have their kind of local group that they've had for generations, and that's what they stick to. Um, in particular, like uh, Claire, uh, our leader in the Netherlands, who's helping put this on, uh, she's been to spiritual retreats before, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, I go to Shemitic retreats all the time. We do drum trances and silent retreats. So I think spirituality there, because Christianity is dying in Europe, like it's been dying for decades now. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's just created a vacuum where spirituality in general has just become very popular. I just don't think it's been as Americanized in the sense of it's just, you know, very it's not as loud. Yeah, it's not as loud about it. It's not as loud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Because I feel like there's a lot of young people out there that if they knew about these experiences, even like going to a high lung concert or coming to one of the gatherings um, that you folks put on um, with or without these kind of shamanic, you know, uh, magic mushrooms or any of these other kind of uh, substances, uh, I feel like a lot of people would really get into that because oh, yeah. there's a giant need for and search for meaning and community out there right now you know well I mean? and i think um, you know one of the reasons you know my channel has you know done so well in the last three years almost is because i started it right before covid um you know mm -hmm. i started six or seven months before covid and then the moment you know everyone got shut in their houses people started consuming more content but that's also when they started looking for more answers um, you know, I think after the first month, you know, we all had our takeout and, you know, movie binge-ness out mm -hmm. of us. And we're like, okay, what now? And I think that's when a lot of people really started looking for answers. And a lot of people came to paganism through that. For sure. For sure. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Now, so James, uh, pulling it back to you a little bit here uh, in the last quarter of this, uh, where do you see like the Thor's Outdoors thing going? Um, you know, you know, you have two episodes in. I'm assuming, do you have a third one already done in, in the pipeline? I was going to film that, but unfortunately I got COVID last week, so I was completely out of it. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th thank you. Uh, thank you to the COVID gods. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be doing a third episode and just just continuing. I mean, every weekend, essentially, that's my philosophy, right, is to spend two days out there and, and just share it. Um, so I found that it's been having a very good reaction on my Chinese social media. 
I've got about 350,000 followers over in China on, on the main social media platform over there. And they're in China just starting to open up their first national park. So camping and outdoor stuff is starting to really grow there. Patagonia only got into China, I think about 12 months ago or 16 oh, really? months ago. So that's how sort of mm-hmm. young the outdoors market is in China. But um, continue to do it. I mean, it's, it's a very big niche on YouTube. There's a big audience out there. So I view it as, you know, I'm doing it for fun, but I'm also viewing it as, Hey, I think I can get a lot of eyeballs on this uh, yeah. and take a very unique, I think, approach to it. I don't know if it's always going to be called Floors Outdoors. That's the name for now. I like it, but uh, it's always definitely going to have that sort of pagan, I think, uh, infusion in it. And um, I think it's a very interesting and unique take on uh, on the whole outdoors and you know bushcraft and camping uh, area. And you know, it's it's funny that most people are atheists in this, the creators in this area, mm. but the things that they say in their videos, right? There's always parts in the videos where they're reflecting on what it's like being in the wilderness, their thoughts of the wilderness, the thought of being a human in the wilderness. I'm like, these people are fucking religious and they just don't know it. Right. Everything <laughs> well, I, they're saying is religious, but they, they're claiming that they're an atheist. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. Whatever you want to say, bro. <laughs> Whatever you want to say, bro. Whatever you want to say. But I mean, the, the nice thing about paganism is it provides some structure to it. It allows you to connect on a much deeper level, I think, to your surroundings. Um, and it gives a sense of his, his, history to it. And also it connects you to your ancestors who were doing this for fucking ever. Yeah, and they didn't have a choice, really. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they didn't really have. We, we have really the have... the choice of going outdoors and and living off the land. Oh, how horrible for us! Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, and also, you know, as a pagan, it's like this is your fucking church, man. This is your church, is out there in the sacred groves, and um, it's a place to practice and deepen your faith. You know, for sure. So, a long-winded answer is yes. I'm going to continue to do it, and. Uh, and uh and share it you know whether it takes off in the west or not you know my my chinese audience definitely really likes it i'm getting a lot of views over there so you know continue to share it because again i think it is a unique take on uh on a very you know established niche uh and and demand uh for content out there yeah i mean really i'm actually very curious because we had we talked about a little bit beforehand that you said like the marvel you know marvel's thor and stuff like that was popular over in china uh mm-hmm. so when you started posting norse pagan stuff on your on your channels and your pages and whatnot what, what kind of response did you get from the people in china well i don't to be honest i mean i don't really post any of that pagans i don't put like for example on all my posts you know on, on instagram I, I i usually say praise odin i usually tag yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know pagan and, and and norse and all that kind of stuff but i don't really do that in china because first of all i don't really do it because i don't think there, there there's any really conceptualization of um people practicing it today so i right. haven't really delved into that i really haven't mm-hmm. delved into that just start the poking thing- the bear a little bit see what happens yeah 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 i mean you should, you should <laughs> I mean, it's very interesting. In China, Christianity is exploding. Really? There are, I think there's more than 100 million Christians in China now because the Communist Party in China does not like religion. It's their enemy, right? So for the longest decades and decades and decades, there has been no religion in China. But again, much like I think in the West, there is this great thirst and desire for spiritual connection and spirituality in China. And the most well-formed thing, you know, version of that right now is Christianity. Um, So it's really interesting in China. There's a definite, uh, you know, desire for that. The thing is there are are pagan religions in China, but there are their own local ones, right? They've got their own deities. They've got their own long histories. Um, So I don't know how well, like, I don't know if you could get a lot of 
Germanic pagan or Celtic pagan right. practitioner in China. Maybe because again, they do know about it because of the Marvel. Yeah, films. let's bring let's uh, battle plan right here because you know. You said, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about China Hoff. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the the Pope is like thank God for China because it's one of the one places in the world where Christian numbers are exploding for that. Right. So is it like underground though? Because the government doesn't like it. A lot of it's underground, like a mm. lot of it's underground. That's churches. some like Roman shit right there. It's yeah. some serious Roman <laughs> shit. So like pastors being arrested, churches being bulldozed. It's fucking serious, man. It's Okay, it's so maybe serious. we shouldn't battle plan. I don't want you to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, the well, thing and, is, like, I'm not physically in China, right? right so right, right. It, it's, it's all good. Well, because what I was thinking is, you know, because paganism, in a sense, is kind of under, you can you can live it undefined. Like you said, there's people near you that do the bushcrafting thing. They say they're not religious, but clearly they're very spiritually they connected to, to nature. And so maybe a way for you know you to continue to grow that audience in, in China um, and really you know give them something enriching is showing that spiritual side to nature that doesn't have to have a name, that doesn't get official. That's just like, hey, when you breathe in this clean air and it fills your lungs, you know you could just slide in there. That's the breath of Odin. You know, Odin gave bark breath. And that's why it's so important to us. That's all you got to say. You for know, sure, man. Sneak away. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, my upcoming videos, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on doing uh, like blots, you know, in the actual video. Well, keep it short, good. keep it, keep it sweet. And uh, you don't even need to necessarily explain too much about that. Like yeah, people yeah. maybe, you know, get into it and, and, <laughs> and research it further. Who knows? Maybe they do want, you know, follow up videos like, what, well, what are you doing there? You know, um, that, that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, uh, pagan uh, prayers, uh, celebrations, blots, whatever you want to do or call them, um, when you're doing them in those environments, I think it just makes fucking sense to people. Yeah. It makes yeah. sense to people. Well, if you did uh, one where you like hunt or something like that, um, you know, maybe if you if you did actually get a kill or something like that, you give part of it back, like you know, and that that uh, in itself, absolutely. because I think that's you know we give offerings now by pouring out alcohol that we bought from a store, but it means so much more when it's like, hey, this is my meal tonight, and I'm going to give back some of it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm planning on doing that with a turkey hunt um, this spring. Uh, oh, here careful with those turkey hunts. So. That's my spirit animal, dog. <laughs> well, you better, hey, man, you hey. better get back. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, well, that's. I mean, that that's the thing. I know you're joking, but I mean, people people make this assumption that listen, if you're if you're hunting, if you're hunting and eating something, how could you possibly love it? You know, but oh, it's yeah. like, does the lion not love the gazelle right i mean the lion eats the gazelle and kills the gazelle but uh, it doesn't mean that the lion doesn't love the gazelle or in a, in a way that a lion can love a gazelle right um so it's a symbiotic i think way of being i mean life eats life right and if you are being thankful for it and showing that thank um that thankfulness i think it's 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 all part of the cycle right if if anything it's like if you do really love turkeys it's like harvesting a turkey eating a turkey seeing the turkey up, learning all the turkey's habits to be able to harvest one, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I th I'd say arguably that's one of the, that's, that's the way of showing your highest respect for, for a turkey in yeah. a sense. I mean, um, uh, recently uh, I did a ritual at the Wisconsin gathering. It was private. It's not even going to be on video. Um, but I made a new ritual headdress for when I do shamanic rituals and it involves buffalo leather, um, turkey feathers, and there's deer jaws on it. 
as well. Amazing. And so part of that ritual was actually giving thanks to those animals that had to give up their lives in order to make that headdress and so that it was made sacred. You know, I still want it made out of buffalo leather, turkey feathers and deer jaw, but something had to die for that or at least lived a life. Um, and so it was giving an offering and showing that respect for it. So you don't necessarily have to, you know, we're never going to live in an era where we don't kill animals anymore. That's just not going to happen, uh, even though some people want that. But we can honor and respect them a lot more than we're given now for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I think showing people a way to do that and showing them another way, another side of, I guess, of hunting and fishing, where people still are, are now incorporating the practices that our ancestors normally did, right? Because on a show like a mainstream show like Meat Eater, for example, mm -hmm. if guys after harvesting, say, a rainbow trout, suddenly had like a little, you know, carving of a rainbow trout that they put on a branch and then like said a prayer or did a little ceremony to the rainbow trout god, right? people would think like they just wouldn't do that on one of those shows, but all throughout human history, our ancestors absolutely would have done that. Right. Absolutely. So I don't think it's strange at all to kind of bring those kind of things back um, that we would have historically been, been doing. Unfortunately in the space, it's just not, it's not common practice. I think, you know, hunting, at least in the United States, the numbers are that 75% of the, the American populace supports hunting for food gathering purposes. So it's, it's actually has a very high, you know, approval rating as is. But if you had more hunters and fishermen out there doing these kind of little practices, celebrations, prayers, offerings, etc., I think that the support would go up even more. Um, oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. a great example of this is at our gathering in Wisconsin, uh, the owner was incredibly Christian, like, I mean, pamphlets <laughs> on the table, take a pamphlet, kind of Christian, uh, yeah. you know, t Texan blade, uh, the guy that rented uh, the property about God. And he's like, how do you view God? You know, it's like, dude, we're paying you money to give us your house. Like, shut up. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we were kind of worried because he was actually on the property, like in his little shack watching our rituals. Uh, you know, he had a window, it was clearly the light was on and he was in there and yeah. had a clear view to Ian covered in black paint calling to hell. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, dude, this guy is like watching after every ritual he would drive away. And then the, wow. we were sitting here like, oh, dude, this is going to get weird. But then like the second day we had people in the woods and it's so natural in our community to clean up trash. Like if we see trash, we have to clean it up. That's kind of our built into our process. Ian and mm -hmm. I went out, cleaned up some trash. Other people were out there cleaning up trash and he saw us cleaning up trash. And he stopped and he's like, no one's ever done that before. No one's actually respected my property. <laughs> and he gave us five stars, said, you guys can come back whenever you want. You know, Wow. And I think that kind of stuff speaks louder than anything else in this world. Yeah, for sure. There's that pagan connection to nature, man. Cleaning it up. That's that's incredible. That's incredible. That's another thing I'd really suggest to pagans out there is that if you've never harvested a wild critter, like a fish or whether it's a rabbit or a turkey or a deer, really think about learning about that and doing that because it connects you to your local landscape like nothing else. I would say that sleeping outside overnight is a standard deviation above just taking a hike. And then actually harvesting wild food is another standard deviation above camping overnight outside. Because then you actually visually see, you, you become a part of that landscape. You become heavily invested in it because you realize this is where my food comes from. So if you see someone littering, if you see someone's going to put an oil pipeline through your through your your backyard, right? If you see someone's going to environmentally destroy it in some way, you are so you're you're invested on a completely other level uh, into your local landscape. And I think that you know pagans really need need to experience that because it's it's the ultimate form I think of of connection to nature is to actually harvest wild food and and to consume it 
you know, while you're, uh, while you're out there, it makes you love it on, on a whole different level, a whole different yeah. level. Yeah. Well, it's like when Jacob and I were walking around on that property in Wisconsin, like we had come across some of the, the deer trails and stuff like that. And it was, it was, I mean, we had talked about it as like later on that, you know, as we were walking, it's like, you would, you would see this trail. And then also just like that, you could see where it went off into the woods, like mm-hmm. a clear path. And it was, you know, whether it was like a, just an instinctive, you know, this is what humans have done for thousands of years, like kicking back in, you know, you could see that path clear as day on exactly where these deer went through and stuff like that. And had that like deeper connection. Obviously we, we didn't hunt anything on that land because it wasn't our own, but you know, it was, it was close enough to getting to that aspect of like, this is, this feels so much more natural that deeper connection to that land in particular. Cause yeah, once we spotted like the beginning of a trail, you could just like, look, and you could just see where it was winding off into the distance through the trees and stuff. And you're like, Oh, that's exactly where they went. And, you know, we found like tufts of hair and stuff like that. Absolutely. It's magical, man. They're, yeah. they're so much literally oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of poop, a lot of poop, but they, they are the, they are the four spirits, man. They are, they are the, um, are they not the, the four spirits manifesting themselves in this magical form? You know, I came across a giant steaming pile of moose shit with my stepbrother when we were <laughs> camping last winter Hot. and, uh, hot yeah <laughs> moose shit moose shit you know you know the little pebbles from deer moose shit are like they're like big marbles right they're just they're, they're, they're a lot bigger but anyways i mean a moose is like a 2000 pound forest giant and the thought that that critter was somewhere like 5 minutes away walking through the forest it's just like whoa it's magic it's it's pure magic that's the only way i can describe it if those critters weren't there It'd just be so different, man. It would be. It would oh, be so, when we so, were so in uh, Colorado for the uh, Highlands show, we went up like really deep into one of the uh, state parks there, uh, to like a mountain, like right below a mountain glacier, just because we were like, we got to see something like this. Sure enough, the moment we pulled up, this guy was walking up past the parking lot. And he's like, "Guys, there's two moose right over there." And we're like, "What?" And sure enough, there was nice. this two, two of these huge moose just like uh, in this little field nesting, and we had some apples. And like we would take a bite and we would roll it over to them and we were like leaving offerings for these moose because we're like, oh, the gods, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, to be honest, you can't not believe in some kind of God when you see a, cr- a creature like that, when you oh. come across them in the wilderness. Like, again, it's only religious language that can experience, that can describe the experience. Um, and for people who are cynical, out of touch, militant atheists, et cetera, when you see something like that, it like... Uh, it really breaks through. I think the barriers, man. It's uh, it's 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 incredible. And again, it's something that 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 uh, makes people care. I think can get people invest in nature. Um, is seeing these critters, but also the ultimate thing. I think harvesting them. Many people don't realize how well wildlife populations are managed in North America. There's the whole North American wildlife management uh, yeah. method and. Uh, Harvests like tags for harvesting animals are in very defined areas and seasons, and the number of tags issued are directly in correlation with what the sustainable harvest is. Because wildlife biologists in every state and province, right, are measuring the wildlife population: are they going up? Are they going down? Are they steady? And then issuing an appropriate number of tags. So you don't have to worry if there's a tag available. This is a sustainable harvest. So right. you don't have to worry about like, oh, if I shoot this deer, is it gonna? Oh my god, white-tailed deer are like fucking everywhere there's more white it's estimated there's 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 more white-tailed deer in north america right now than at the time of european contact back in the day so um pagans shouldn't be worried about like if i harvest a deer will they disappear you know what i mean they're fucking everywhere but they're so cute james 
They taste good too. <laughs> the little oh tail, you see it flopping in the wind. <laughs> you're like, damn. Oh I'm over God, here. I got a family hilarious. of deer I kind of watch after nearby, like in the parks that's near my house. There's actually a whole family of yeah. them. And every time I go there, like last time I was following them, and they ended up taking me to some trash, and I clean up the trash for them. Every time I go back there now, oh. they like follow me around. Oh, right on, man. Yeah. Right, that's great. So I can't kill that's those deer. Well, I'll have to go somewhere else to kill the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is this, is that white-tailed deer populations are so high in so many areas that literally deer are dying because of overpopulation reasons, like because of disease and because of starvation. So in a lot of scenarios, harvesting a deer or two from your local landscape is actually helping improving the health of the remaining deer on the landscape. Um, so it's interesting, man. It's interesting. I mean, the other thing is, is like, you were so used to just buying, uh, critters and meat in the supermarket. You forget that someone is killing that animal. Oh, how many so, kids out there do you think don't actually connect meat in the supermarket to animal in, in real life? Probably a it, lot. Yeah. A scary number. The cheeseburger they're eating at McDonald's, you know, how many animals did it take to make that damn thing? And they just don't even think about it or never even thought about it. For sure, absolutely. And you know, if you're not into doing mammals right away, start with birds, start with a rabbit or start with fish. Fish are a very easy thing to start with. Even harvesting. <laughs> it's so much easier bluegill. to kill a fish, guys. It's so much easier. <laughs> you see that dumb, ugly little face, you're like, ah, there ain't no life in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, every time I dispatch a fish, I still have a twang. Like there's this twang of thankfulness, sadness, uh, gratitude. It's a big mixture of emotions, right? But generally the most uh, ethical thing to do is to take uh, a small bat, you know, an ax, something, and you just, you bonk them on the head right behind the eyes and you, they're, they're dead immediately. Um, as opposed to them asphyxiating, right? Just throwing them into a bucket and then slowly asphyxiating. Yeah. So um, even when you do that, there, there are these twangs, but it, 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 it connects, again, it, it's connecting you with the local landscape and uh, it's the reality of death. It's like, if you're not doing it, somebody else is. Right. You're paying somebody else to do it, uh, which, is, which is really interesting. But um, yeah, it's so, powerful, man. So the last uh, funny thing I, uh, I wanna talk about here, uh, we're actually very over an hour mark here. So when you get <laughs> closing up, uh, but, you know, your uh, your love for the environment and our natural world definitely bit you in the ass here recently with that small electric car and the snow, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pagans, uh, be careful with those electric cars. Well, I mean, to be honest, it's really it's it's really a function of uh, I would say having a two 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 wheel two drive two wheel drive car versus a four wheel drive car. You know, if you're doing off road kind of stuff like I am. I've gotten this freaking car stuck, I think four times, twice in the mud, twice in the snow, <laughs> doing, doing backcountry stuff. One time I was turkey hunting, I got it stuck and the uh, the tow truck driver came down the backcountry road and I literally stepped out of the woods, full head to toe camo with a shotgun. The guy nearly shot his pants. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great car to me. I've been driving this Chevrolet Bolt now for, for five years. And um, aside from getting it caught, you know, four times in the backcountry, it's been a great little car. It's been, it's been a I'm great I'm just picturing car. you pulling up to these like little Canadian backcountry roads and there's like a bunch of guys with like deer in the trunk and you pull up on your little, your little Chevy and you're like, what's up, boys? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, dude. I get some fucking looks, man. I get some looks, <laughs> let me tell you that. Or when I pull up and do it into like a gas station to get some water or something and I'm in, again, head to toe camo 
and like hunting boots mm -hmm. and I step out of this electric car. I'm pretty sure I might be the only electric car owner with like a shotgun currently in his back seat uh, <laughs> in, in the whole continent. So uh, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's the thing where, yeah, most of my friends who do the th kind of things I like, uh, they drive pickup trucks, but it's like, mm -hmm. you love nature so much. It's like, you want to protect it too. You know what I mean? And uh, EVs don't make sense for everybody, especially people who live in rural areas, especially people <laughs> who live in the North, like, you know, Ian in, in, in yeah. Minnesota, the range decreases by basically 40% in the middle of winter. So yeah. it's not for, they're also, a lot of EVs are very expensive, right? It's not for everybody right now, but uh, pagans, you know, consider it, consider it. Consider yeah. It. Have you ever been to Iowa? Let me tell you about Iowa, James. <laughs> I've recently been to Iowa and it's about 120 miles to nothing to get to the next nothing. <laughs> oh yeah, man. I mean, well, Jake, with the amount of driving that you do to all the different uh, gatherings and whatnot, I can almost certainly say that an EV is probably not the correct car for you right now because the ranges just aren't there. And the, the yeah. amount of time it takes to recharge when you got to all of a sudden drive to Minnesota to go to a high lung concert with Ian and I, I mean, you can't, you can't just I mean, do that. I'm booking you down. I'm writing this shit down. If you keep talking about it. <laughs> Got it. Let, let's do it. Let's Fuck fucking yeah, man. do it. Well, with that, I do want to go ahead and end us here because, uh, yeah, this has uh, gone well over an hour. Uh, but, James, uh, let's give it back to you one more time. Where can people find you? Where do you want them to find you? Uh, and uh, last-minute uh, things for everybody. For sure. Just uh, James Alofs uh, on Instagram and uh, Thor's Outdoors on YouTube. Those are the two best places to find me. And uh, I love connecting with pagan folk. I just followed Ian. I can't believe I wasn't uh, following you earlier on Instagram. But uh, You texted me like a schoolgirl, like, oh, my God, he followed me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I love connecting with you guys and talking about this stuff. So, yeah, thanks for all the great work that you guys do. Uh, getting all the great gospel out there, if that's the correct word. And, uh, I threw up a little bit in my mouth, but I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> yeah love that pagan community baby it's me it's it's such a big part of my life so it's awesome yeah well we'll get you to a gathering before too long yeah. we'll try to get one up there in canada for you uh i think texas will get upset if we don't have one down there first but we'll get you we'll get you in the queue <laughs> right on uh but right thank on. you everyone for joining us for this episode if you enjoyed us here in the video format again this is not something we're going to do for every episode uh just because it's a lot of work but i figured with this one having james on here we can show some of his footage from his youtube channel uh and you can see his axe and his other to tools he's just been playing with various like throughout this episode <laughs> Oh, you saw that? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I saw you playing with that hacksaw saw. thing. Yeah. Yeah, I forget what you were talking about. You're like, yeah, China. Yeah, they're not really big on religion. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, thank you so very much for joining us. And, uh, oh, man, at the time of this episode coming out, the fundraiser's out because mm -hmm. this comes out next week. Holy shit. So if you listen to the Folk Podcast, uh, the fundraiser for the Holland is out right now. Uh, so we don't actually know how well it's doing at this point. But if you go to our community website, I'll leave a link down here below. Uh, please check out that uh, fundraiser for the Hall Land. We don't know how long it's going to take. Could take weeks, could take months, uh, could take years. But we're prepared for the long haul. Uh, so any help you're able to provide uh, it would be really amazing. So thank you all for so much for joining us for the podcast and any help you can uh, provide for the Hall Land. But definitely take a check out Thor's Outdoors with James Azlaus. And thank you all very much. So until the hall, Skull. Skull. Skull.